Welcome to Building the Future, Freedom, Prosperity, and Foreign Policy, a podcast series focused on updating the United States soft power playbook to meet the hopes and aspirations of developing countries because it's in America's interest to do so. I'm Dan Rundy, Senior Vice President at CSIS. There are a lot of global challenges out there, so let's get started. Hello and welcome to another episode of Building the Future with Dan Rundy. Today, I'm joined by my friend Ilya Ponomarev. He's a Russian-Ukrainian politician. He's a tech entrepreneur. He's an investor. And he's an author of the book, Does Putin Have to Die? The story of how Russia becomes a democracy after losing to Ukraine. It's a hell of a title. Ilya was a member of the Russian parliament, which is called the State Duma, from 2007 to 2016. As a member of the Russian parliament, he was the only vote against Russia's annexation of Crimea in 2014. Following the vote, Ilya went into exile to Ukraine in 2016. He has remained an outspoken critic of Russia's military actions against Ukraine. And since Russia's 2022 invasion of Ukraine, he has joined the Ukrainian Territorial Defense Forces. Ilya also served as CEO of Trident Acquisitions Corporation, leading the charge for U.S. investments in Eastern Europe's oil and gas sector. He served as a member of the board and chief investment officer at BGV Group, a pioneering Ukrainian investment firm focused on battery materials and critical minerals. I'm podcasting Ilya today to discuss his fascinating life story, his positions on the Russia-Ukraine war, and his most recent book, which was published in 2022, as I said, entitled, Does Putin Have to Die? The story of how Russia becomes a democracy after losing to Ukraine. Ilya, thanks for joining us. Thank you very much for having me, and thanks for this great intro. Great. I really appreciate you making the time. Tell our, our listeners a little bit about your background, Ilya. I think you told it all. <laughs> I think I told it all. That's very nice. Yeah. I am originally an entrepreneur, and like all tech entrepreneurs. I always dreamt of changing the world. And originally in 1990s in Russia, I felt like that could be done through tech entrepreneurship, through creating new businesses. I had several startups, several successful exits. I worked both in the startup community and in large corporations in oil and gas. I created the first venture capital fund in Russia. So that was my vision. But then when Putin came to power and there were already numerous warning signs with Boris Yeltsin in the uh, 90s when he shot the parliament and falsified the elections in 1996. And then he named Putin as his successor. And the first thing Putin has done is took over and basically squashed the best Russian independent TV station. And at that moment, I decided that I should join politics and do my best to change the way country develops. And so here I am in the exile. That's where the slippery path led me to. That's wild. Okay. How did you become a member of the Russian parliament? And what was that like? And when you were elected, was Russia more of a democracy than it is now? Definitely it was. So when I was a kid, I was a young pioneer and I got a lot of good and strong education in terms of left-wing ideas. And I always felt like a truly left-wing ideas and entrepreneurship are like brother and sister because they inspire the same thing. They inspire creativity. They inspire personal initiative. They inspire self-governing. 
I always identified myself as left libertarian in terms of uh, my ideas. And so that's why when Putin, which is very much to the right, came to power, it was very natural for me to join leftist forces in Russia, which became the main alternative to Putinism. And in 2007, I got elected into the parliament representing Novosibirsk. Novosibirsk is the capital of Siberia, and it's always been referred to as Russian Silicon Valley. That's where the main technology businesses are. And in the parliament, I was chairing technology, innovations, and venture capital subcommittee. So I was in charge of all the new technologies in the country. And when Medvedev came to power in 2008, I very much embraced the reset policies with the United States. I was one of their architects in Russia, facilitated uh, creation of Skolkova project, which was like a joint venture between MIT in the United States and Russian state. We created a new university, which was a joint university with MIT. So that was how I wanted to move things ahead. But then Putin decided to come back to power and started to tighten the screws. And eventually that led to the war with Ukraine, which I already couldn't stand. Amazing. Why did you write this book that I have found really fascinating and really attention-grabbing? Well, I wanted to systemize my political views. And originally, this book was written in Russian, and I was writing it for actually 10 years in Russian. It's three times more thick than it is in English. And I never thought that I should translate it into English. It was written for Russians. But then my good friend, Greg Stebben, who is a known U.S. journalist, came to me and he said, like, why don't you translate it into English? And he said, I can do it for you. So we, we made a shortened version of the book. But to get U.S. audience a certain inspiration that things can be different in Russia, that the country is not doomed, that democracy could be born there, and that there is an alternative to Putin. Because what I see in the United States is that many people believe that there is none. And if not Putin, then it would be somebody worse, like some criminal, like Prigozhin, who just perished, or somebody even worse than that. So I think one of the things I want our audience to think about is, I think democracy is possible in Russia, and I know you do too, but let me just put the question to you. Do you think democracy is possible in Russia? And if so, how does Russia become a democracy? We have such a joke in Russia that everything in Russia changes in two years and nothing in 100 years. And I think that the time when we actually use this fluidness of Russian society, which indeed is very fluid. It's like the common misperception, I think, that Russia is very rigid. But I think it's the other way around. And if you just look at the history of the last 100 years, you would see that Russia has survived four revolutions and five coups. And like four revolutions, I think it's, it's a record. I don't think that any country in the world has ever done this in just 100 years. And during this 100 years, Russia was absolute monarchy, then constitutional monarchy, then bourgeois republic, then a military communism, then a social democracy, then totalitarian communism, then again social democracy, then again bourgeois republic, and now it's a dictatorship, autocracy, I would rather call it a bonapartism. So I already counted 10 different regimes that happened just over 100 years. So I definitely think that we can build a true democracy. And for me, the greatest inspiration actually is the United States. I think that in general, mentality of Russians are much closer to the American mentality rather than to European mentality. That's this individual entrepreneurship 
That's a great distrust into the state. That's the history of Russia, the history of how Siberia was conquered, was very much like the Wild West in the United States. And Russia is a melting pot of different nations. So it's very similar. The psychology is, is very similar. The problem was that we never had what United States had as an American Revolution. We never actually tried to establish our own state, designing it from bottom up, not from top bottom, but from bottom up. And that's exactly what I want to achieve. That's why we, with right now already 92 other former members of Russian parliament, established what is called Congress of People's Deputies of Russia, which is a shadow Russian parliament. And we started drafting the new constitution and the new basic legislation. And we want actually to use this opportunity that is in front of us because of this tragedy, because of the war between Russia and Ukraine. We want to use this opportunity to the advantage to really reset, reestablish a new real Russian state using the example of the United States. You've talked about that you're not fighting against Russia. You're fighting against Putinism and fascism. Could you just explain to our listeners the difference? I know what it is, but I think it's important our listeners understand. Yeah, definitely. My take that, say, in World War II, we were not fighting against Germans. We were fighting against fascists at that time. And in the Allied forces, there were Germans also. And some of them actually has risen to high positions in the German society. For example, the famous counselor Willy Brandt was fighting inside the Allied forces, and he was the author of reconciliation policies with the rest of the world in 1960s. So that's also very much the inspiration for us. And there are a lot of Russians who are right now fighting alongside the Ukrainian army. There is a unit called Legion Freedom of Russia, who is now already close to a brigade in numbers. And it's growing every day. It's already liberating Russian territory, Russian uh, urban guerrilla forces. We call them partisans, which are fighting inside the country, launching drone attacks, uh, derailing military uh, cargo trains, attacking different officers of, of the regime. These all are people who are true freedom fighters, not with words, but with deeds. They are risking their lives for the better life of the country. And I think that proves that there are good Russians. So not all Russians are loyal to Putin. I say, and you've heard me say this, Ilya, that the United States has a problem with Putin and his murderous regime, that the United States does not have a problem with the Russian people. But I fear that often in the conversations in Washington or elsewhere, we overlook the fact that we need to engage with the Russian people because I think emotions are really high about the war in Ukraine and a number of other things that have happened. How could the West work with Russians who, like you, have a different vision of the future for their country? And how should we be working with young Russians to alter Russia's future trajectory? I do agree with you 100%. And I think that in general, people in the West, I mean, politicians in the West, actually, the society stands in its way better than the upper bureaucracy of many Western countries. They are standing in a certain bureaucratic logic. They don't want to see the shades, and also they don't want to exercise action. They are rather afraid of numerous risks that may come with it. And I just recently watched the Republican debates, for example. And I think that many people had the very uh, fair point, you know, if we're 
spending money helping Ukraine? What's the end game? Why we are doing this? And I think that it has to be a vision. It has to be a vision of better future. And obviously, this better future should include Russia, because Russia is not about to disappear tomorrow. Putin would be gone, but Russians would stay. So it has to be a, a better future for all of Europe and all of the Western world. And I do believe that Russia with the European Union and with the United States are natural allies. We would be jointly competing about the global south, uh, not being enemies, but being normal competitors. That's what would drive the planets, the global community forward. And we need to start talking to each other and understand each other and not paint everybody with just one color. I think that obviously I, I would not want United States to be part of some regime change in Russia, you know, to intrude into the uh, Russian politics. It's, it's our job. It's the job of us Russians. But to make the difference and to help construct this alternative to the horror that we see in Moscow, in the Kremlin and, and in other parts of the country, that's our joint cause that may help and will help everybody. And that's what we need to do together. And also that's why we started creating these political structures. It's not the humanitarian aid. That's our joint vital interest, joint interest of normal Russians, of Ukrainians, of Europeans, and of Americans. Does, how should we be thinking about our strategic communications? How should we think about this? I think that we should, first of all, just start talking. Again, I am very oftenly coming to this example of World War II. In World War II, in 1943, when the war was in its middle, the leaders of the Allied forces met together in Tehran, in Iran, to discuss the post-war future of Germany and of Europe. And then they met again in Yalta, and then they met again in Potsdam. And that were, were three main steps of thinking that actually shaped all of the world after World War II. So far, we haven't done this right now. And that's why when some people in the West, including the current administration, by the way, saying that we are here not to let Ukraine lose, I think it's pretty pointless. It has, again, to be a vision. We want Ukraine to win. We want Putin to lose. And we want to create a better society, a safer world, a world which would be safer for Americans, for Europeans, for Ukrainians, and for Russians. United States have their vital interest with China, with other parts of the world. So let's state them. Let's draw those red lines. Let's design the boundaries. Let's think what we want to achieve at the end. If we don't have the vision of what we want to achieve at the end, we will move nowhere. It would be just continuous, endless spending on behalf of the West and endless bloodshed on behalf of Ukrainians and Russians, which exactly what we want to stop. Got it. All right. Ilya, this is great. Is there a website if people want to get involved or want to know more about what you're doing? How can folks get a hold of you or get involved? The website of the Congress is very simple. It's rosdep.online, R-O-S-D-E-P dot online. And their English version on the site that you can look at. Also, I highly encourage to go to my personal YouTube 
there is a playlist of English language interviews and statements there so that you can also track and get the recent news about what's happening in the front lines, what's happening with the Legion, what's happening with the guerrilla resistance movement inside Russia, etc., etc. This is great. Thanks so much, Ilya. It's great to have you on. I really appreciate you taking the time to be with us today. Thanks for having me, and let's just do it. If you enjoyed this podcast, check out our larger suite of CSIS podcasts from Into Africa, The Asia Chessboard, China Power, AIDS 2020, The Trade Guys, Smart Women, Smart Power, and more. You can listen to them all on major streaming platforms like iTunes and Spotify. Visit csis.org slash podcasts to see our full catalog 